climbed over this brown rock pile and then it was like, ah, like icebergs and like glaciers. One, two, three. I jump. She doesn't. You never know when it's going to happen. Hello, hello, aloha, namaste. Welcome to Vicarious Diaries. I'm Jeffasaurus Rex, your host. This travel podcast is all about journeys abroad and journeys within. Today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with my friend Jin, who's from Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the 10,000 lakes. I like that feel-good license plates. Minnesota is also home to the film location for the classic 90s Mighty Duck movies, a personal favorite of mine, so shout out to Coach Bombay and Charlie Conway and the rest of the Misfits. It was quite nostalgic walking those streets in Minneapolis. Now, a little about Jin, a very fun playful and expressive human. She's an animated storyteller and also loves being a story listener. I was lucky enough to spend some time with her in Minnesota, having a lot of summer fun playing, whether it was Jenga, square dancing, or Foursquare. We connected and shared some really deep conversations And ever since she moved to Korea to teach English, travel has been a common lifestyle for Jin. One of her most formative experiences was the gift of living in a community in Thailand with Karen refugees from Burma. If you're watching the video version, you'll see some of Jin's favorite travel photos. The first a photo of her fulfilling her lifelong dream of seeing the Kuokas on Rottnest Island. I actually had to look up that animal, which is a marsupial from Australia. Apparently, they have a reputation of being the happiest animals on the planet and commonly approach people. I did not know that. The next, learning how to ride a motorbike around Paxi, Laos, and recently our naturopath doctor told us she was from Laos, and I liked hearing that they called themselves Laotians. That's pretty cool, having the word ocean and having that sound and feeling in your nationality. Learning how to plant rice in Thailand, very, very cool. And an important life skill, changing a flat tire in the Australian outback. More recently, after a lot of travel and a nomadic lifestyle, Jin is taking some grounding time to reflect on global politics and the impact of tourism around the world. Jin is back in Minnesota and has shifted her focus to helping her neighbors during this crazy time in history as well as learning a foreign language by teaching herself Spanish. I always admire people who speak multiple languages and love the quote, those who know nothing of foreign languages know nothing of their own. 
Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. What a name. I'm sure that's similar to only learning and understanding one instrument. And I strongly believe it's important in life to open up to other cultures or back to the Mighty Duck movies like Adam Banks playing for both hockey teams. It might just help you better understand and appreciate your own. Today, we open up Jin's backpack that's full of adrenaline adventures in New Zealand, exploring the desert on camels in India, as well as tapping into our deeper selves, as she calls it, the animal self. Grab your parachute, harness, jumping partner, and buckle up. My friend, who I've traveled with, and he went, his biggest trip, he went to China for three months, and he was just here a few hours ago, and he really wants to go traveling, and he has like this big desire to go traveling, and you know, there's all these variables, and I'm like, well, he tells me, you know, like, I want to make sure when I come home, like, I have enough money to like, find an apartment and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I totally understand that. But at the same time, it's like, what's holding you back? And like, I wanted to ask you that question because you have a pretty good travel resume. You've been on in the about probably at least two years of actual travel if you like accumulate it all. And what advice would you give to him? I guess, and this is advice that I'm trying to follow myself. Like I have to catch myself and be like, oh, but my advice would be like, follow your heart. Like stop looking through your logical, rational headspace and like try to feel what your heart space is telling you. And then like do that and then release all of your, you know, like, cause all of your fears come from a very logical, rational place. Right. Oh, I can't go home because I'm scared I won't find a place to live or I'm scared I won't have enough money. And that's all like coming from up here. But if you turn all that off and you're like, well, my heart is telling me that I want to be back home in that physical place with those people, then, then, you, then you can try to like shut all that head stuff off and follow your heart. And like, that's been a huge challenge for me lately. And I've had tons of conversations with good friends of mine that I've met here of like, why is it so hard to follow your heart? And people are like, because you have a mind and like, it, you know, but you're, you know, by your body, like what's right, whether it's starting a new job or quitting a job or having a friendship or like having a romantic partner. Like if you can tune in to what your body feels, you will know the answers. It's when you stop listening to your body that that things get confusing and decisions become very difficult. And I think like as adults in today's society, we're so programmed to like think things through and like be rational and like make pros and cons lists and like really think it out. But I think that if you reverted almost back to a childlike state of like, well, what, what does like animal Jeff want to do right now? <laughs> you would, you know, like you know the answer instantly. And like all of those other things are just trying to like muck about 
and so that's what that would be my advice would be follow your heart and that's not i'm not a i'm not a pro at that but i'm really really trying <laughs> that that's an amazing answer i love that answer because to differentiate to like put a partition between yeah like your sensory feelings and then this headspace here which like oh i could talk for hours about that how like indecisiveness like pro and con list like what you're talking about but yeah if you can like get back to when you can just feel what's right like with anything like you said even relationships it's like oh like should i be with this person and it's like you gotta get out of here and just listen to animal jeff that's hilarious animal jeff want right now you know and that's what what does animal gin want and need you know and then i'm like oh i don't know why i want to go back home but my body is telling me that i want to like what's waiting for me back there that i don't even know exists right now so i'm like okay i just need to like listen to my heart release my fears and my worries and my concerns and just do it and know that if i manifest like beautiful things that like everything will work out like it, it will be fine that that's something i'm really trying to start doing with like meditation and like starting to just be more aware, be more mindful and be more aware of my surroundings and like, you know, walking by a painting or a picture and like really looking at it. And like, even with the tattoo, you know, like you see people with tattoos, like we talked about and you're like, Oh, that's a cool tattoo. It's a, it's a, a sea creature or whatever. And like, you know, I actually think about trying to get the backstory. How does it make the person feel? Like, why did they get it? Why did they get it there? You know, and you had a cool story. So it's, it's definitely, you know, in the information technology age where like it's difficult to get away from that, that gets us stuck in here. But that's a great answer. I love that. Thank you. It reminded me a lot of when I the young people like that I worked with back home, like to art museums and stuff. And we would like look at a painting together and then they would like look to me and they would be like, what does it mean? And then I would be like, well, I think it's less about like what it means and like more about like how does it make you feel yeah yeah and then they're like oh this makes more sense if i'm trying to look at everything that's around me and then interpret it based on how it makes me feel then like i feel like clarity comes instead of trying to like very objectively determine meaning because that's just exhausting that would be just an <laughs> way to, you know like you'd never figure it out constantly just be like what does it mean you know <laughs> too many so, facts yeah. too, many too many facts, facts. yeah yes and we never i feel like we don't talk about that a lot where you're like yeah how does uh oh have you heard that song you're like oh yeah it's a good song i wonder what it's about whereas it's like imagine just saying wow have you heard that new uh uh who's some like lady gaga song or something you're like how does it make you feel man or whatever <laughs> and just be like it's a completely different way to reframe. Like I have a friend here in New Zealand and every once in a while he will send me a poem and he'll be like, here are some words. How does it make you feel? And I'm like, oh, this is so cool that I have a friend, especially a male friend that like wants to talk about feelings, you know, like because <laughs> we get programmed to not talk about it, especially men. And so I'm like, this is so cool. Why don't we talk about things in terms of feelings? instead of i'm so i'm i'm challenging myself to try 
to do that more, being a feelings-based person. Cool, <laughs> cool. It's true. And, you know, you have to just be the person to bring up those questions. And you're going to be different, and, but it's good to be different. And it'll make people think, like it'll, or it'll make people feel, actually. They'll have like a thought, like, what, what kind of question is this? But then they'll be like, oh, how does this make me feel? I've never thought about that. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Hmm? What did you say? How funny is that? Oh, I said, how trippy is that? Oh, how trippy, yeah. That's true. <laughs> oh, I do have feelings. It's like a whole nother. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, you know, like. Oh, good talk. Okay, we're going to have, we're going to have good talk. Okay. All right. I just want to say you you nicknamed yourself the drifter so Jin the drifter and where where are you from where were you born okay first of all I want to clarify I feel like I didn't my friend back home my friend John he was the one I feel like that nicknamed me the drifter and at first I was like kind of offended like I was like oh, is that just a kind of nicer way to say you have no home or no family? And then I was like, like, best thing that anyone's ever said to me. You know, like, so then I was like, okay, I'm totally cool with it. But back to the original question, where was I born? Was that the, that was the question? Um, I, was bo I was born in Minnesota in St. Louis Park and lived in, lived, I mean, I moved about a lot, like as a child. Um, Maybe, which is why, oh my God, click. Maybe this is why I feel like I'm such a drifter. Um, so I moved a lot like during my childhood and like I went to a lot of different schools. Um, so I never really felt as though like I have like a hometown. Like when people are like, where are you from? It's usually like I identify more with the place that I'm currently at now as opposed to the place where I was born or a place where I grew up. But I've been thinking a lot lately about, like, the concept that we all have a spiritual home. And maybe that's not where we were born. Maybe it's somewhere entirely different in the world. Um, <clears throat> but just, like, plants, you know, like, we're kind of just, like, plants with more complex emotions. So, like, just as in certain areas, you know, like, the soil and the energy from the earth feeds you. And, like, the energy from the air nourishes you. And, like, not all plants can grow every single place around the world and like thrive. So I'm really trying to figure out more about like this concept of having a spiritual home and is mine Minnesota because I do still feel very deeply connected um, to the Twin Cities. So I think even now, like if you were to ask me like, where are you from? I would say Minneapolis, even though I've lived a lot of different places. Um, even though I lived in Wisconsin for such a long time with my former partner and have traveled a lot, I still, I think that that would probably be my answer. I think it would be Minneapolis. <laughs> what an answer for where are you from? And <laughs> no, that's good though. You know what? Because you've drifted to so many different places growing up, maybe that's made it a little bit easier for you to go on these adventure trips. I think so. I think, I think probably. 
And I was going to say, like, I was already, I was going to ask you, yeah, did you travel a lot growing up? But you already answered that. So my next question would just be like, where was your first big trip? Well, the first big trip um, didn't happen into like my first international trip didn't happen until I was like 25. And that was, yeah, that was when I moved to Korea. Oh, nice. Like I had never been out of the country before, never even been to Canada, like nothing. And then I was like, I need to get out of this place. You know, like I was like, no, I always felt like I was supposed to do international travel. I just never had the money to do it. And then when I like found out about all the opportunities in Korea, I was like, I'm going, you know, which is kind of crazy to be like, oh, this is your first international trip. How about just live there for a year? You know, <laughs> you know, like, it's not like I was like, oh, I'll go for a couple of weeks and come back. It was like, I'm going to go move internationally for a year. Um, so that was the first biggie. That was my first big trip. And what did you do in Korea? Or I was taught English. Oh, you taught English there. Okay, even awesome. Did you have to get a certificate or go to school for that? Um, the process has changed a lot. Um, but when I went, I it was required to have a bachelor's degree, which I had already. Um, and then I needed to get a certificate to teach English as a foreign language, which I did online. And it was like, 1300 US dollars or something. Um, but I'm like, this is an investment for my future. So I did it. And obviously that never expires. I can't believe that that's just a qualification that you have forever. And you're like, <laughs> you know, and so I got that and then I was accepted into the program to teach English there at a public school. Um, and then went. So did you have experience speaking to kids or being in front of a classroom before you did that? Um, not a lot. I had, um, I was like a tutor for middle school students, um, like when I was in college. Um, so I had a little bit of experience, um, working with young people and being around children, um, but not like facilitating a class or like planning a lesson or, you know, like anything about classroom management, you know, like I had no experience with any of those things which posed a big challenge, especially when you're working with students that don't speak your language. You know, how do you do classroom management if 90% of the kids in the room don't understand what you're trying to say? So that was a really big learning for me when I was there. Um, but yeah, I just jump right in, essentially. I like that jump right into the deep end. That sounds like a common theme for you. So yeah, I guess. Cause not everything's going to come together. Like you learn that from going traveling, like there's never a perfect time to go traveling, to do anything like perfectionism personally gets in my way for sure. But you know, you get the foundational things and then just go for it and then learn on the go. Right. Yeah. You kind of just have to, it's just experiential, you know, like the best lessons that I feel like you get in life are ones that you just have to learn while doing it. For sure. And we don't learn that growing up in school. I just taught a class this morning where like they were talking about the school systems and they're saying how, you know, most school systems are all based on memorization 
and we don't learn as much like actually doing it. So maybe that's why like we're in our head so much and we're like, you know, oh, well, how do I learn like actually doing it? I've never done that before. Like, so maybe. Yeah. Yeah, weird. But anyway, tell me about what it was like living in Korea. Where were you in Korea? Um, I was in a city called called Daegu, um, and Daegu is in the middle of Korea, roughly. Um, so we were about like two hours to Seoul via high speed train, um, and we were about like 45 minutes from Busan via high-speed train. And those are the other two cities that are bigger than Daegu. So Daegu is like the third largest um, city. So there are about roughly like 3 million people. Um, yeah. Tell me about it. Okay, here. So I remember how you told me how you're like, maybe you should read a poem. I feel right now that I maybe want to do that about Korea. And the reason is because I think that like right now I'm so in a way disconnected from my Korean experience, especially since that I'm, I'm like immersed in this New Zealand thing um, right now. So I kind of want to read the poem and then see what you think. And then maybe like take it from there and see if it brings up, anything that's like worthwhile to talk about but it's kind of just like sums up like a year in that experience sounds great okay? sounds great okay i have i have the poem on my phone so let me let me access it right you have to help me though i will tell you how it makes me feel and then you have to talk about it too okay perfect okay this is good we can debrief our feelings afterwards <laughs> god you're an amazing human Okay, are you ready? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Annyeong haseyo. I shut the door behind me and I cry. I sit down on a bed that I can't yet call my own. The time it takes to unpack my entire life, which is stuffed inside two suitcases, isn't nearly enough. Monday through Friday, Sally rings my doorbell around 8 a.m. so that we can walk to school together. This walk is a walk that we both take for granted. It takes us about 10 minutes to walk to Songji Middle School, Songji Junghakyo. We stroll past the corner kimpasa that has the best tuna kimbap. Occasionally, we stop for coffee. Americano Chuseo? We make our way through the mess of students that are huddled at the door putting on their school slippers. Every day they shout, good morning, teacher. We walk upstairs to the teacher's office and put our own slippers on our feet. Her name is Kung Hyang Soon, but we call her Kung Mother. Kung Yo Il means Friday in Korean, but I always go with her on Tuesdays. Kung is also the word for gold in Korean, the color that Koreans wrap gifts in. She is a gold woman. She picks me up after school. I jump in the back seat behind my best friend Aaron. Kung hits the gas pedal and says, Usa sa! We all say, Shinanda, Shinanda. I'm excited. Dinner menu mogul? Kum takes her hands off the steering wheel, appearing to weigh the different invisible options. We go downtown and park in the same underground parking. Jiha Ju Chijang, my favorite Korean word. 
Sometimes we stop at So Moon Market for apples or hotok, my favorite Korean treat. A sweet donut filled with cinnamon sugar and sunflower seeds, fried right before your eyes, ears hearing the sounds of sizzling dough. It gets stuffed into a paper cup as you hand over your 1,000 won note. It's usually almost dark when Kum brings me back to my apartment. Before I hop out of the car, we sing children's songs. Santoki. Santoki tokia, odiruganunya, gangshun gangshun dimyoso, odiruganunya. Mountain rabbit. Kum says, I want to see you again. The last time I see Sally, she's walking me to the corner Kimpasa to help me load my whole life stuffed inside two suitcases into a bag. The same two suitcases that I arrived with took way too long to pack. They're filled with Korean dishware and memories, but they don't exceed 50 pounds. In one of them lies a red envelope, which holds a note that Sally wrote, which to this day I have never read. The last time I see Kum Mother, she is with me and Aaron on the KTX train. Our tickets are for Incheon Gonghang, Incheon Airport. We sit and we eat Duenjang Jjigae, bean paste soup. We postpone my departure as long as possible, but security moves much too quickly. I look back at Aaron and mother and see tears in their eyes. They are singing. The man at immigration makes me hand over my Korean identification card, <laughs> tangible proof that I lived here. I buy some kimchi at the duty-free store and I shove it into my already too full carry-on bag which I bring onto the plane and shove into the already too full overhead compartment. I sit in my window seat and I cry. Well, I'm that's amazing. <laughs> How does it make you feel? Oh my God, Kay. That was really cool. Like that's the importance of capturing an experience whether it's traveling or some monumental experience in your life through words or writing and especially art to actually really physically and mentally bring you back to that space and yeah. it's weird because like the first i guess like 20 seconds of it oh if it was kind of like i felt like you were going to korea and i was like oh it's kind of like this this big fear move and it sounded like you're you were sad and like scared and then all of a sudden like this childhood nostalgia i guess and yeah because it made me think of you know when you are in school that's like a chapter of your life growing up that is so different than the rest of your life and you'll never get a second chance at that unless you become a teacher <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i have a, i have a lot of comments on that that was a good idea when you it was your idea so when did you write that poem i wrote that poem um when i was in grad school so probably maybe a year after i had come back wow so a while afterwards, um, because I was trying to not forget the memories. Because it's the weird thing about traveling, and especially about traveling when you live somewhere, was that like all of like 
things that were a very normal part of your experience or your life, like me walking to school every day or this, you know, 65 year old Korean woman picking me up and taking me to dinner every Tuesday, you know, like those things were very normal for me, but like now they're just memories. And like, that's quite sad, you know? So I was like trying to feel those feelings again and like put myself back in that place. Um, because like, I don't, I don't want to forget it, you know, like, but it is, it is like a longing and a nostalgia of something that once was that can never be again, you know? And so trying to just be there a little bit. And so I, I was really trying to do that with words. Um, and especially like the songs and like learning Korean and, you know, like those things like bring me back, you know, like, and even now, like I've forgotten a lot of the Korean that I once knew, but the children's songs that my Korean mother taught me, like those I still have, you know, like those are things that I, you know, like, and I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to forget, you know, like those little songs that she would teach us just to try to help us improve like our Korean. Um, yeah. So I want to hold on to those, those memories. Wow, that's amazing. That like perfectly describes your experience teaching English in Korea with that poem. And yeah, yeah I, have, I have so many questions and comments. I like what you said, you know, the sad part that they are memories that you're trying to at least hold on to, which I think it is important to hold on to some memories because in the end, like everything becomes a memory anyway. And I watched some videos on the Centarian Club. They just like interviewed like three or four people who like had hit 100 and like asked them about their lives. And, you know, most of them kind of just said, you know, I've done everything I wanted to do. And like now I just try and help out where I can. And like all I really have are memories. So some really beautiful memories. So it's a wow. cool video. I'll send it to you. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I hope I can live to be 100. Yeah. Mind and body. You mentioned like the walk to school. You said this, this walk I do every day, the 10 minute walk to school and the kids uh, greet me with hi teacher and you take it for granted. I thought that that really stood out for me because it is those simple things that really have a spot in your memory that stand out. So you and you met this woman who went and took you out to dinner every Tuesday. Who who was this? Um, so my best friend Erin, who I had met right away when I got to Korea, um, because we were on the same plane. Um, and so like we sat together on the plane and we did orientation together, so I knew her very well. But we were teaching at different schools, um, and she taught at an all girls high school. And there was a dance instructor at the school, a Korean woman, this older Korean woman. Um, and she like took to my friend Erin right away. And Kum, we called her Kum mother. Cause she, well, she kind of, she was like, you're my daughters. And she was like, I'm your Korean mother. Um, so we called her Kum mother. And she barely spoke any English, like literally almost none. Um, but she really wanted to hang out with Aaron. 
like all the time. And so then Erin, I think, in an effort to take the pressure off of her as an individual, was then like, Jin, do you want to also come on adventures with Kum Mother? Um, and so then I got roped into the circle. And then every Tuesday, we would she would take us on field trips. You know, so like she would she would gather Erin from school and then they would come pick me up at my school in her car. Um, and it was always a challenge because communication was hard, especially at first. But like she learned so much English by hanging out with us and we learned so much Korean from hanging out with her because we had to, because there was no other way to communicate. And it was very expressive and a lot of body language because we didn't have the words to use. And so she would just, she would take us all over the city. Sometimes she would take us to like the ballet or like an opera, or occasionally she took us to two weddings in one day. So I got to experience like Korean weddings and she was just like, oh, come on. She's like, it's fine, you know, like come come with me. She's like, I'll buy your ticket because you need to buy a ticket to go like to a Korean wedding. Um, and so she would just like, sometimes she would take us up the mountain. So I got to see like, so much of the city and so much of Korea just because like of this amazing woman and like my experience would have been completely different had I not had her I'm so grateful like I, I want to go back and visit her because she's getting old and then part of me is like I need I must go see her before you know like before she gets too old or doesn't remember these experiences um, so that's something that's on my bucket list is to go back specifically to see my Korean mother. So what was like, so what was like a Korean wedding like? Well, the, well, it's interesting because most Korean couples when they get married have a traditional Korean style wedding where they dress in the traditional clothes and sometimes they carry a chicken around. I don't know what the purpose <laughs> of that. And they listen to traditional music and it's very, you know, like, and it's very, very traditional, but then also they will have a Western style wedding as well. So there'll be two separate occasions. And then in the Western style wedding, which is the what I I was only I only got to got invited to the Western style weddings of these couples. Um, but it would be a similar it it was never in a church um, that I saw it happen. It was in more of like an event space, but white dress and like tuxedo and like very similar clothing as far as like your weddings in the states or in canada the experiences that i had seemed a little bit impersonal but i'm still very very glad that i that i got to partake in those thank you coom mother for bringing me coom mother the food was always amazing yeah i saw this wedding I think it was in Jordan and I guess they had like, they did some preparation where the bride was like being taken by these bad guys who were like in armor and stuff. And like the groom came in and they did this scene where like this epic battle where like he battled with them and stuff and like saved the bride. Like, and he was like the big hero and like, I'm like, that sounds pretty cool. It's like, a, you got a show at your wedding and like, so it's just unique things like that, right? Totally. Gosh, that that wedding sounds fantastic. 
that's cool. that's cool so they have two weddings <laughs> yeah yeah and the women always usually rent like wedding dresses as well so like they never actually purchase one it's always like a rented garment yeah it's so crazy like i didn't really want to get into that but because weddings can be super expensive but it's like i guess women yeah they usually buy a dress right like that you yeah. wear and like I'm a match I'm guessing those dresses aren't cheap and right. and like you literally probably wear that one time like yeah yeah so I told Korean mother like because she would ask me and Aaron like oh what are weddings like back in the states and we would kind of tell her but then we would be like oh we would be like dress like wedding dress we'd be like you'd own it you'd buy it you know no rental and she would be like, what? Like she was very confused at the concept of actually spending thousands and thousands of dollars to purchase this dress that you would then wear once. Like she could, it couldn't really wrap her head around that concept, which was very interesting. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, it's more interesting how we wrap our head around it and are okay with it. <laughs> yeah, because it's not okay. That sounds right. Yeah. Oh yeah, my buddy's getting married. Oh, married. Like yeah, rent a tux. It is fun to look nice. Sure. Like look all dressed up. But yeah, to buy. You're like, oh yeah, I'm in the wedding. I gotta, I gotta buy a tuxedo and like wear. It. Well, maybe that's different for guys. Like guys can buy a suit and wear that more than once. But a girl's like probably not gonna wear her wedding dress at like another wedding. Like. Yeah, then like totally worth besides the memories that are associated with it. But then it's just a thing, you know. What's really important are the memories. I'm sure the I'm sure the brides bust out that dress once in a while, like in their house and like with their husband and stuff. <laughs> you know what would be fun to do tonight? Let's put on our wedding costumes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure we could talk tons about Korea. I was curious. Anything else you wanted to do you want to tell me what that poem meant to you? Or how it made you feel like I mean, you kind of already talked about that you said you wanted to hold on to the memories, right? Yeah, yeah, that was essentially it. I wanted to get just kind of like a snapshot, like to sum up my year, you know, like first initial feelings of like sadness and worry and fear and then and then the middle bits which were like so normal and then like the end bits of like oh my god this normalness is now going to be just memories turned to sad you know so I just kind of wanted to get like a quick snapshot of like a year in my life in Korea what that was like and so that's that is kind of what what it meant to me but yes let's move on and that's why I like doing these interviews because it's so important to somehow capture your experience or otherwise like they're just going to, they're literally just going to disappear. Like, you know, maybe like put up some pictures of like a bunch of pictures of them together, like on the wall and like write words down of like quick little stories and stuff, something that's going to like not just and make you remember how you felt there and like why you went there and like, what you learn from it because like I said otherwise it's just going to disappear so doing these talks and like, like I said it's beautiful for me to learn from your experiences but it's great to capture 
a journey of yours and then you can watch it and be like wow like and you'd be talking about it and yeah it's interesting that you'd say that because i'm thinking that like when i come home i want to i want to do more i'm i'm having weird thoughts of like paper mache i'm like like i want to do more like physical um like art that like with again like words that i write about experience but i want and then i do want to like decorate my living space with these like reminders of my past experiences so that's something that i want to dabble a little bit into when i get home i'm not sure if it's going to happen but the wheels are turning that's cool turning art or using your experiences to create art and I did that with one of my favorite pictures uh, when I was in Slovenia and I just took it with my iPhone and I got lucky. It was just such a stunning picture and I, I wanted to paint the picture too. I'm not a painter, but I was like, I bought some stuff for Christmas. I'm like, hey, it's, not, it's fun to paint, you know, and relax on a blizzard day and I, I did a little painting of it and it was fun. You know, it's, it's a different expression of that experience. So that's a wicked idea. Yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to dabble. So, yeah. So after your experience in Korea for a year, I'm assuming you went back to the States. And then yeah. and then I was going to ask you about India. Yeah. Is that where sure. you went? Is that where you went next? Well, I went to India actually um, during a holiday that I had when I was in Korea. Oh. Um, I had like over... Korean winter break. Um, I didn't have to teach. And where did you go in India? Um, I went to Delhi first. Um, and then I actually, I was hesitant to go to India alone as a woman. Um, so I actually connected with like a volunteer organization. Um, and so I met up with a, another, a group of travelers. Pretty much everyone was from the UK. Um, and so I met up with some wonderful people. And so we did a couple days in Delhi. Um, and then we went to Jaipur, um, which is still in the same kind of region as Delhi, just out a little bit. Um, and so we went there for a while and we volunteered in an elephant village, um, which is essentially where families lived with their children and their elephants. Um, because like the elephants were a huge source of income for that, you know, like people that would want to go on elephant rides or do, you know, like a tour of, you know, these beautiful buildings while on elephant, you know, and so they would like live and care for their elephant in this community, essentially. Um, so I went and I volunteered at a school that they had in the elephant village. And the students were just loving it because they didn't see white people very often. Um, so they were all like, you know, they didn't really want to learn. They were just like, let me show you my elephant, you know, and <laughs> but so we a couple days. Um, and then we went to a place called Pushkar, where we went out and camped in the desert on camel. Um, so we like rode camels way out into the desert and then like tented um, and like had meals together. We had no electricity or running water or anything. Um, and then we all went back to Delhi, um, and that, and that was pretty much the two weeks. Um, and then 
the rest of the group, they went on and they continued. They went up to the Himalayas um, and then they ended up going down to the south of India. Um, but I had to go back to school. So then I said my goodbyes and then they got on the train and then they went. Um, yeah, that I, was wild. I don't think I've ever seen an elephant. What, what's that like? Really? Oh, it was weird. Um, they paint them like they would have specific types of paints that they would like put on the elephant's trunk or like the elephant's body. I don't know if it was like a symbol of their family or like a story. Um, I could have inquired, but I didn't. Um, but these were Asian elephants and not African elephants. So they were the smaller of the two varieties with the small ears and not the huge giant ones. Um, so not as big as I was expecting. Um, but you would just, you know, like they would have a little ladder or whatever that would go and then you would just like climb up and like get on top of the elephant and it would, you know, like you could ride it around. Um, but they took really good care of them. Like they were a part of the family. And, and so that was really nice because I think I maybe had an assumption that I would feel bad um, for the animals, but then being there and experiencing like the way that they cared for the elephants, like they were a family member was very reassuring. Yeah, it's nice to hear that. I mean, like, it's difficult. Yeah, if you're like, even like riding horses and riding elephants, you always wonder if the animal wants you to be doing that or painting the elephant. Like, I don't know about that. But it also is, you know, it's, it's in India, it's a different culture. That's what they've probably been doing for a really long time. They're also probably trying to make a living too. So yeah, I think that's sometimes a challenge about traveling is letting go of your own judgments um, and just trying to accept another culture for what it is. You know, like, and even I've experienced that a lot in New Zealand too, or a lot of, di of different places where I'm like, I'm not sure if this coincides with my value system or like my moral code, but who am I? with my like white Western lens to like judge this way that you're living, you know? So like that, I, I think that's a huge challenge of traveling um, is letting, trying to like step outside of your own experience and just be like, okay, this is how it's done. Um, accept it. Accept it. Yep. Yep. Without too much judgment. So what was it like living in India? Like, um, I mean, I think that like my experience, I would love to go back. Um, I would love to go back maybe like with a, with a travel buddy, but not necessarily like on an itinerary, you know, because I was like with this volunteer group, everything was kind of like planned out in a way like where we were saying what we were doing so it was relatively easy it felt very safe you know all of our transportation um was covered but it is it is a totally different experience of like haggling prices you know that was like the first place that i went to where i could you know someone would be like here buy these this is however many rupees and i would be like no 
I'll pay this much. And they would be, and then it would be that dance of like, how much am I actually going to pay for this food, you know, food or clothes or like a bag, you know, so dealing with that, like it's cool and it's also exhausting at the same time. Like it's amazing because you can get such interesting, wonderful things for very cheap. Like everything was so cheap, Jeff. Um, but it's also like, oh, my God, I'm going to go shopping today. Like, this is exhausting. I almost want someone to just tell me a price and I'll give it to them and then go. But you'd know that if you didn't haggle, you were going to get taken advantage of, like, really, really hard. So you had to do it. You know, it was just part part of the culture. But it also made me feel very, very white because I knew that, you know, like, if I was I, I knew that when I, whenever I went to a store, like people had assumptions that I had more money than an Indian person who would walk into the same store. Um, so I knew that I was going to be treated very differently. Um, so that was a, that was a little bit of a challenge um, as well. But it was, it, so it was just an entirely different, entirely different, like social situation. And did you feel safe there? Because you said you were a little bit nervous about going there. I felt safe for the most part. Um, I definitely felt like I got a lot of unwarranted attention from men. Um, but I think that that's normal. Um, and I think like, like even, even after going to India, I, I wouldn't go back by myself, you know, like I think that just for my own, um, for my own safety, I would want to have a partner. Like I think two women traveling in, in India, I think is, I mean, granted, I think you could do it solo. I just don't know if I would want to. That would be maybe like a little bit outside of my comfort zone. Um, because for the most part, I experienced everyone as being very, very friendly and kind. But knowing what I know, um, you know, like you are, you could be taken advantage of financially. Um, it's a lot of male eyes on you, which isn't necessarily comfortable. But once I kind of just accepted that and ignored it, then I think that it was it was super enjoyable and I would definitely go back. But I would love to go and just like study at an ashram and do yoga for like a couple months. I think like if I went back, that's kind of the experience that I would want would be like I want to hunker down in one place and like live somewhere and actually like experience the local culture as opposed to kind of like jumping around and constantly doing different things I would want to get to know a city. Well, you're doing that now, right? So that was kind of like your your first first big trip and with Korea and India and you wanted to have a little bit of safety, which in Korea you didn't have that, but in India you obviously felt a little bit more weary, if that's the right word, or wary about going there so you're like yeah i'll find this find this volunteer program so that's good advice too you know if you're always like a little unsure about a place like do a join one of the do a missionary trip or go with a, a program like that you have a guide and totally i think it made it made the whole experience a lot less stressful and there's so many different like organizations that you can connect with that are relatively inexpensive and that way, you know, and a lot of, it was a lot of other women that were like with this volunteer organization as well. 
And they all said the same thing. They're like, we wanted to experience India, but we didn't want it to be stressful. We wanted to know that we were going to be safe. And so this is how, so it was like, I kind of had the freedom of going by myself because I didn't know anyone initially, you know, like I arrived at the airport by myself and I left at the airport by myself, but I still right away had this lovely community of people that wanted to go on this journey with me. Um, so it was kind of like having the best of both work, best of both worlds, you know, as far as knowing you're going to, knowing you're going to have a good support system while you're there. Cool. Yeah. And what was it like being in the desert? You said you went on a camel ride in the desert or something? Yeah, being in the desert was amazing. Yeah, camel riding camels is top notch. Yeah, I much, much like prefer that experience over riding horses. Um, you mount the camel when they're lay when they're like laying down. You get on. I don't know. Have you ever ridden a camel before? No. Yeah, you like get on them when they're laying down. And then they like stand up on those long legs, like with, so then you're like on it when it's, which is really funky. Um, and then we rode these camels out into the middle of nowhere, essentially, um, and just put up tents and cooked really delicious, like homemade, like an authentic, like Indian meal, um, and just enjoyed like the company of each other, you know, in the middle of the desert without anything, um, which made for like some really great conversations, some wonderful friendships. Um, and being out in the desert, I feel like was a really good way to disconnect from society at all. And even though it was like a weird way, cause we were just like sleeping with our camels, you know, right next to our tent and stuff, but it was really, really good moments of great connection with other humans. Great story. Great connections with other humans. That'll be the caption of that story. That's great. And that's so true. It's like when you go traveling, like you go on, especially if it's like you're, you go solo and you're like staying at a hostel, like immediately, it doesn't matter what country you're from, you're, you, you're like-minded because you are doing something different. You're doing something that majority of the world is not doing at that current moment. And you're out of your comfort zone, both of you, and you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm searching for something or I'm, I'm wanting to see the world. And you're going to have some pretty unique conversations because your brain is like just taking in so much new information. And yeah, yeah that sounds wild. And, and funky is a great word to describe that. Super funky. Did you have a fire, you said? Did you have like a fire to cook or? Uh, yeah, everything was like cooked over an open fire. So like really good like roast chicken um, and like paneer, which is like that, like the cheese, like hard cheese that's in a lot of curries. They would like grill that over the fire. So like really, really good, like basic, but hearty and like amazing, really good Indian food. Yeah, I will remember a couple of nights very vividly. That's amazing. It's funny. Today I went to the farmer's market, our local farmer's market, and there, my friend always gets Indian food. And today I went up with them and I started talking to the lady and I was just asking her about like how she makes her meals because like Indian food is very delicious. It's very, it has a lot of different spices and it's very like 
plentiful if that's the right word or like it just there's so many tastes whereas like a lot of food i make like it's very simple and like you know you end up eating too much dessert because you're not getting enough spices or whatever like in your regular foods but i was talking to the woman she was super nice and like explaining what was everything was in it and it was really enjoyable enjoyable and it got me thinking i was like you know what it would be fun to like just ask her if she'd be interested in like hosting a little Indian like cooking night where like she would come over and I could bring like 10 people and like I would pay her if she wants and like buy the ingredients and like just to like have a good Indian experience whereas like we don't have to go to a restaurant we don't we're eating this delicious food but we don't know what's in it you know and like for her to like come into my home I bet she would do that too like she's foreign people are always cool like Totally do that. That would be amazing. Yeah, she would love that. And your friends would love that. I know. I'd be do it for my birthday party. <laughs> God, that would be amazing. Be like, can I hire you for my birthday party? Yeah. Yes, Jeff, please. You would love it. You would love it. Everyone would learn so much. Nice. Yeah, I know, right? You're having like a great time and you get to eat this delicious food, but you're also learning. It's like... <laughs> I feel like everything is so much better when you are also learning at the same time. For sure. You learn the best that way. So I just wanted to say, when I saw your profile on couch surfing, when I was in Minnesota, and I read your profile, and I wrote it down here, and it says, when I go bowling, I like to make my name Wolverine so that whenever I get a strike, a big X comes up on the screen and I can do some cool X-Men move. <laughs> I was like, and you also said, you're like, oh, I like to go to movies at the theater by myself because I really like movies. And, you know, sometimes you don't always have someone to go with. And I like to, um, what'd you say to to not have the societal standards. <laughs> so I read that. I read that and I was like, wow, this girl's hilarious. Like, I definitely have to meet this person. So, and I'm so happy that we did meet. And that was at the time where you were working on another cool job, right? Why don't you tell me about that? Uh, yeah, with the young people. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I was working um, with a nonprofit organization called the, the Wilder Foundation um, in St. Paul. And they um, have an after school multicultural leadership program for high school teens called the Youth Leadership Initiative. Um, and so I worked for that program. And so the teens were committed to a year long experience um, of experiential learning. And like the framework was all about um, awareness of self. So like, who am I? Like, how do I identify? Like, whether that mean you know, like, who are you culturally? Whether that mean like your racial identity, your ethnic heritage, your sexuality, your gender, your religion, like, who are you as like a whole human being? And like, how can you learn more about that yourself? And how can you learn to share that with others? So there was like, a framework of awareness of self and then also working with others so like how do we work together how do you appreciate me and my whole humanness and how can i appreciate you and your whole humanness and then the third framework was taking meaningful action like in our community so like that was kind of like those were the building blocks 
of the program. Um, and so they met three times a week. Um, and we had a team of really amazing, like, teen leaders that would also come an additional fourth day a week. Um, so on top of their school every single day, you know, some of these kids would also come to program after school four out of five school days um, for like three, four hours, you know, just to learn. Um, and it was super beautiful. So like probably one of one of the best, coolest jobs I've ever had. Um, I miss it a lot desperately, but I'm hoping that I will be able to go to their graduation this year when I come back. Um, that's going to be a priority for me. So I'm going to do an uh, international surprise um, and then show up at program graduation this year. So Nice. Yeah. That is such a cool job. And I, I like how, you know, yeah, identifying who you are, being a part of the community, like even in my local community, like, I like the question, like, what do you bring to your community or what do you bring to the world? Like, that's a big question, but it's good to think about that, you know, like, am I just existing or am I trying to like make the world a better place and like make my friends happier? And like, you know, no one, I don't want to say no one cares what you want. That's a pretty harsh statement, but in general, like people, you know, Lo love to get love so if we're all doing that then that's important too how helping other people right and yeah it was really beautiful and that's those are some of the things that we tried to kind of like point out to them and like what are your values you know like i think that we often forget how to act on our values you know we all say I value honesty and I value kindness and I value transparency and open communication. But then how often in our day to day life do we do things that aren't in line with our core values? Do we, you know, like it's way easier sometimes to hide things or to not be open or to not want to talk about difficult things. And so kind of reminding them like, okay, well, if these are your core values, how can you live a life that like reflects those values? Like how, you know, like don't throw away your value system because of other people or, you know, like, so living, living in line with those values and contributing to society. Um, and it's a good reminder for all of us adults too, you know, like those things, it's, it's a practice. You have to practice living according to your values and it's easier to do it when you're surrounded by tons of people who are living in the same way. So we tried to like cultivate this community where we wouldn't be scared to talk about difficult things or where we could, you know, like, you know, like critique each other in a positive, healthy way, or, you know, like help each other grow personally and learn um, and have a really like safe space to do so. Cause a lot of these young people don't have parents to talk to or don't have a good life at school or they're just like seeking a community that like doesn't exist for them um so above all we kind of just tried to provide that and then also provide like positive caring adults who you know like who did show interest in young people because i think that a lot of people are missing that you know but if if your parents aren't showing that they care about you if your teachers aren't then like who is you know, so trying to just be 
be good role models, I think, was essentially what it was. So great way for me to live my life. Um, yeah, I miss it. Yeah, you've obviously been a role model in a f many things, like with the teaching throughout your life so far, and now the role model and leader of this group of teens, which is great. And you got to do a lot of activities with them too, right? Like outdoor activities? Tons of outdoor activities. We would take them kayaking, because some of them didn't have the funds to, you know, like get out of the city and go do things that were outside. We would take them fishing. Um, the team leaders, we would take for two weeks up north to the Boundary Waters to learn how to canoe and how to portage. Um, so like so many valuable like life skills that are taught, you know, that can be taught like outside of school. So it was great, man. Yeah, and you said, you said to be interested in others, right? Be interested in other people's lives and that they will end up being interested in yours. So yes. everything you give will come back to you, right? We. And that's where we met, right? So we met up on couch surfing, which is great. Couch surfing is amazing. Yes. And why don't you why don't you take the story from there? Just briefly, yeah, what kind of fun did we have in Minnesota? We had tons of fun. I feel like and I feel like you were like an amazing couch surfing guest because I was just like, Jeff, here are all these things I'm gonna do. Do you wanna come do them with me? And you were like, Yes. You know, <laughs> like you fully just like went with it, which was fantastic. Because we we literally did all the things that I love and we did them together, which was beautiful. Um, I remember going to the brewery that I was also working at, um, playing an amazing wicked game of Jenga. That was fantastic. Drinking some free beer. Um, I remember we went to my friend's birthday at another brewery. We visited multiple breweries, Jeff, on this trip. Um, and then we played some awesome Foursquare um, and you met like all of my friends. It was amazing because you also got to meet like almost everyone that I know. In um, and, and then we wait, huh? And that's amazing with couch surfing is when you do get to meet the people's friends and you take me into your life. That's how the way I always see it. And I like how I oh, keep going, keep going. I was just gonna, I was gonna start in on the square dancing. So do you want? The square dancing, which is amazing. Two things. Since I've been to Minnesota, I haven't played four square since then, and I haven't gone square dancing. And I've and it's 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 so important in life to have these things visual in front of you. At least for me, visually works really well to remind you of like you know whether it's something you want to pursue educationally or recreationally. But it's like I had so much fun playing. Foursquare or especially square dancing, which was so cool. And it's like, oh, yeah, I'd like to do that. And, you know, you think about it for maybe like 20 seconds and then like you get so distracted and you just forget about it. So, like, I need to put that up on my wall to remind me to go again because it was amazing. It was amazing. And, I, and I've been missing it, too, Jeff, because I think that the last time I went square dancing was when I went with you. Like, I think that was also the last time. And I have not found a square, there's no square dancing community here in New Zealand. 
So like, and you can't really square dance by yourself. So, so it's like either I would have to initiate some kind of group square dancing, but that experience was so amazing. And it was so good to bring someone new into it because I was like, oh my God, Jeff is either going to, this, this could be too much. I thought I was like, this might be too weird for Jeff. You know, like I was like, maybe he will not be into it. Cause that's, it's a very weird situation. Like all of a sudden you have to ask strangers to dance with you. You might have to dance with someone that you don't even really want to dance with, but you've got to make the most of it and do it anyways. You know, like you're learning how to do a new thing that maybe you've never done before, but it ended up being beautiful. And you just like went for it, like no hesitations. And it was so joyous. I was a little bit hesitant when we got there. I was like, wow, this actually looks kind of hard. There's a lot of moves to remember. But I was like, yeah, I'll just jump into it and figure it out. And like everyone's at a different skill level. Yeah, that was amazing. And I definitely, I'm playing Foursquare on my birthday next month. I will send you a video. And I will go uh, square dancing. I will find a place. I'll have to go to Toronto, which is an hour from where I live. But They'll definitely have, I, I like that there was a live band that really made it. There was a live band and they were like, swing your partner around and around. And that lady was great. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like my favorite part is you, like I said, if you didn't know a move, you're like, you kind of reach out your hand. You're like, oh my God, like, where's my, <laughs> where's my attachment? And then all of a sudden, like this arm comes out of, of nowhere and you're like, oh, there it is. And you're like, <laughs> It's exactly what it's like. It's exactly what it is. Yeah, and it's it definitely brings people out of their comfort zones. Also, this is going to be a quick pause about your birthday, but I want um I want you to do something for me on your birthday. I have a challenge for you. I love and challenges. This, yeah, this is something that um my best friend Nell, who you met during the Foursquare situation, um she introduced this to me. Um, and so every year on our birthdays, we write down, um, we think about, and then we write down like, what are three things that I learned this past year? And then we also say like, what are three intentions that I'm going to set for myself in this new upcoming year? Um, and so it's always good to kind of reflect back on like key learnings. Cause you're, it, it like prolongs your life in a way when you can like think about these concrete things that happen to you each year. Um, so I want you to think about your three key learnings, um, and then set some intentions for yourself of what you want to accomplish, or if you want to learn any new skills, or if you have any goals, or if you want to meet new people. Um, but yeah, just like write them down and share them if you want. But it's been ever since I started kind of like practicing that I'm like, this is good. It's good to reflect on and it makes your birthday somehow like a little bit more meaningful that another year has passed. I think that's that's the most that's amazing. I, it's the most important day to do that because a birthday is usually can remember probably most of your birthdays and what you did on those days. And same with like New Year's. I used to like doing that on New Year's because you'd always remember you're like, wow, that was a whole year. And you could really feel how long a year was. And same with yeah. your birthday too. And I will definitely do that. I actually just yesterday, I printed out 
just an eight by ten of uh, my week, and I want to actually set some goals, and which I've never really done, and to actually keep moving forward. And so it's funny you mentioned that because I will 100% do that and I will share them with you. And it's good to reflect for sure. What did you learn? You know, like what did you, what aren't you pursuing that maybe you wanted to pursue? I will do that for sure. Thank you. I love, I, def, I definitely love challenges. Good. Yeah, that's your challenge. That's my challenge for you. And when I met, I met two of your friends. I think there were a couple at one of the breweries we were at and they were going to Iceland, which is what I'm wearing, my Iceland. Yes. And did you go with them? No, I, but I did go. Um, I went, um, I went with my former partner. Oh, okay. oh, right, right. Yeah. You told me that. He, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Me and my former partner went, um, for like five days. And it was really super great. We had both always wanted to go, and so we and we booked the tickets before we broke up. Um, and then we were both kind of like, well, just because we aren't together anymore doesn't mean that we can't. We're like, let's have our first international trip as a broken up couple, you know? So, so then we went together on this journey in Iceland, and it was amazing. Um, we rented a car. And we camped um, in our in a tent that I bought, and then we slept in a, slept in the car when it got too cold to sleep in the tent because it was raining and windy. Um, but we drove all the way around the entire the entire ring road, so that was super cool. Um, and we had a really magical magical time. Amazing. So what yeah. was it like? What was it like in Iceland? Because I've been to Iceland too, and. You were there for five days. I was also only there for five days. And yeah, what what did you, what, tell me what you guys did there. Well, we were definitely on a budget. Um, it was the first, um, the first leg of my Europe trip. Like, you know, like the first, the first part of this journey that turned out to be what, like a seven or eight month thing. Um, so we were both not trying to spend a lot of money and Iceland is so fucking expensive. Um, so we, we just kind of like called our little car, our home. Um, and it was our mission to just find really awesome, but free things to do. You know, like if something costs money, we were like not going to do it. So like blue lagoon out of the question, but instead we went and hiked up, we did this amazing hike. Way better. I'd Reykjavik and at the top of this hike there was like this hot springs river all natural hot springs that we went to for free you know and so like we ended up seeing the most amazing things you know like that weren't necessarily like on anyone's like touristy agenda because we just couldn't you know like we never I don't think we went out to eat at a restaurant once we got all of our food from like the bonus grocery store because we didn't have a lot of money. So we just like ate tuna out of the can in the car, you know, and like, and just like random hamburger buns and like peanut butter, you know, because we didn't want to spend tons of money on food or accommodation. And so like we just kept driving around like the whole we weren't even going to 
we weren't even going to drive around the whole island. Um, and then it was like, I don't know if it was day three or something. Like we honestly didn't have a lot of time, but we had exhausted all of the fun and interesting things to do around Reykjavik. So then me and Josh kind of just like looked at each other and he's like, fuck it, let's just drive around the thing. And I'm like, okay, you know? And so we're like, well, we don't have any other plans. Let's just drive and see what That's really cool. I like how you said, let's just drive and see what happens because how often like, you know, people go on road trips, but a lot of time people go traveling and a lot of people like to be scheduled and see the tourist stuff, which is fine. And it's nice to, you know, just go on a road trip and like, just see what happens. Like my, like I've done that before. And, you know, you see a sign that says, Oh, like volcano or whatever. And like, you, you never know what you're going to run into. And it's almost even better that way, but you also don't know what you're missing. It's a good combination of both. Like, and Iceland makes it so easy because they have all, and I'm sure you saw this when you were there, they have all those little signs by the side of the road, which mean like interesting place. Like there's an interesting place up ahead. So, you know, like you don't, didn't even have to have an agenda. You could like, I remember at one point we were driving, 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 and then we saw a whole bunch of cars pulled over on the side of the road, which looked like a big rock pile and we were like what the hell is this big rock pile and why is everyone parked here and climbing over it and we were like this is weird we had no idea what it was but we're like fuck it we don't have anything else to do let's stop climb over the giant rock pile and so we stopped and climbed over and it was i don't know if you ended up going to this place but it was this amazing glacial lagoon you know so we like climbed over this brown rock pile and then it was like like there was like icebergs and like glaciers and this amazing like blue lake you know and we were like this is beautiful but we never would have known that it was there if we hadn't just like taken the chance and stopped so that was kind of like what it was about for us was like let's just pull over by the side of the road when we feel like it let's you know like see what free things we can do and like really try to experience as much of Iceland as we can without spending tons of money on anything except for fuel. I felt like I was on a different planet when I was there. Yes. We were playing hockey there, which was amazing. And I was so exhausted from the hockey and the trying to get used to the jet lag and it, and it was such a short trip, like same with you, but at least you were driving and like, we're on your own schedule. Like we kind of had a scheduler and up early every morning, but to be honest, yeah, it was an amazing experience. I, I really wanted to get a Jersey that I didn't want to buy cause it is really expensive. And the, when we were playing against the women's national ice hockey team there, I guess we weren't good enough to play against the men's or I don't know, like, and they were amazing though. Sorry, I didn't want to mean that girls aren't good at hockey, but they were amazing. And and the first thing I did when I got on the ice, I skated over and most people speak English there. And I said, hey, like, I love your jerseys. If you want to trade me a Toronto Maple Leaf jersey, like I'll give you my jersey and that'll just make my whole trip. And yeah, she gave me this jersey and it actually has like a Canadian flag at the or a Canadian leaf 
not the flag, the leaf at the bottom. And there's some story behind Canada and the flag that I'll have to research, but that was pretty bizarre. And that's incredible. Yeah. And I never wear this jersey. It just like sits in my closet. And I was like, oh, what should I wear for this episode? And I remember you went to Iceland and then I put it on and immediately like all these memories started coming back. And I'm like, wow, I need to wear this more often. That's amazing that you like told yourself that you wanted a jersey, but you didn't want to spend a lot of money. It was like you manifested for yourself like this jersey that like now has more of a story oh yeah it for it you know like it's now like even more personal and more meaningful and exactly what you wanted you know like it would have been totally different if you would have just handed over the cash and gotten the jersey and it would have been transactional in a weird monetary kind of way instead of being this like bonding experience between you and this icelander who like then wanted to like give each other this gift of like cultural sharing, you know, and like now you have the Jersey and it's associated with this amazing story and you like manifested it for yourself, like law of attraction type of stuff, you know, oh, you, totally. want, you, you put out the ask, you know, sometimes all you have to do is ask, be like, Hey, I really want this Jersey. Will you trade? You know, like if you wouldn't have been brave enough to like ask her, then you never would have received this wonderful thing, you know? Yeah, especially like a team jersey that's like really official. Like I was surprised that she just agreed immediately. She was like, sure. She didn't even know who the Toronto Maple Leafs were. She didn't know who, who they were and didn't know the player. And she said, yeah, sure, let's trade. I'm like, that is so cool. Because I've actually asked in some other countries where – it's kind of a typical thing to do a jersey swap if you're traveling and playing a sport. But some countries for sure, it's like, oh, let's trade jerseys. I have two of them. And they're like, sorry, we're not allowed. Like, these are official. And, but so it, it worked out. And we actually got to go out with the team afterwards. And like, we went dancing and had dinner with them. And it was on Halloween. And we all, we all just like wore the jerseys. It was, it was definitely like, yeah, one of those like highlights of my life for sure. It was, pretty cool oh that sounds amazing on on a side note with the law of attraction thing i totally believe in that because this is actually a funny story and it's unrelated to traveling but there's a guy his name's eric thomas he's a motivational speaker have you ever seen him oh i don't think so he's really inspiring and he gives these he gave this like speech before he was famous on this video you've probably seen the video it's called like the secrets to success and he gave this speech in detroit at a high school and it's really like empowering anyway there's something he says in the speech where he goes some of you are gonna have to give up your cell phones if you want to be successful because the time you spend on your cell phone could be spent doing your what you're pursuing and your dreams right so like me and my friend we started saying that out loud and i would say it to myself as a joke like i'd be at my house and i'd be like just trying to look not look at it so much right and so i'm saying this out loud all week and i actually did a challenge i was like i'm not going to look at my phone all week and so by like day six, I was going driving and I had brought my phone with me just in case, like if I got in an accident and needed to call somebody. 
but I got in my car and I've been saying this all week, some of you are going to have to give up your cell phones. And I got in my car and my phone slipped out of my pocket while I was closing my door and it literally just exploded. And I was like, wow, if that's not the universe talking to me, like I wasn't upset or anything like that was totally the law of attraction. Like, Wow, no way. Yeah, the universe was telling you to get rid of your phone. Yeah, because I've literally, it's fallen out of my pocket a lot when I wear joggers and getting into the car, but it's never cracked. I It's fallen out and I've driven away and had to drive back and find it. And like, you know, even if it does crack, then it's like, oh, it's a little crack, right? Like I can still use it, no big deal. But it literally like pretty much exploded and like, I can't even put my finger like to swipe because like I get glass in my finger and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Now I don't have to worry about a cell phone because I don't have one. <laughs> amazing. Jeff, that's cool. Yeah, it's funny, eh? <laughs> oh, God. See, I, yeah, part of me like thought about like wanting to give up Facebook because um, I'm like, think of, and this is why I also like, this is why I, like I don't Tinder. Like, Cause I'm like, uh, like dating is so hard. I'm learning this now, like as a newly relatively single person. And I'm like, Oh my God, maybe I should do Tinder. But like, think of, like I would be spending so much time. And like, I already feel like I spend too much time on social media, like Facebook. And part of me really wants to get rid of it. But then it's like, it's so needed for me, at least like it, like to communicate, you know, like I do have this huge desire. I would want to be off the grid and like not, but it's like how, you know, like I wouldn't have been able to get in touch with you or like I have so many of my friends back home who like don't have WhatsApp. And then it's like, you know, like I need, I sometimes it's like, oh, I need this thing that I hate just in order to like maintain some of friendships or my relationships, um, which is really confusing. No, I understand for sure. I'm the same way. You have to have some sort of communication like, and I think the answer is whether it's just balance or to just disconnect, you know, for a few days or a day and a week or whatever. And once in a while, just to stay fresh and like keep your mind focused on the sensory things around you and, you know, have new thoughts. And, but I forget what I was going to say, but. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, you said to be off the grid. Yeah, it's definitely, it feels amazing to, to go out and be in, in the environment and talking to people. And, oh, I was going to say, I was going to say, I just seen like, you know, when you watch old movies and they're like at a party or dancing, like really older times, like maybe in like the 60s and stuff. And like, literally people didn't own cell phones like they didn't own cell phones they didn't like just that just boggles my mind that like they'd be at their they'd be at a party or like you're like oh like let's get a taxi or like everything it's like oh like it's just ding 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 nowadays ding ding it's like you're constantly connected and like my friends here my friend was here a few hours ago and he's like he's, he's like oh what's your wi-fi password and i was about to give it to him and i'm like i want to talk to him about why why what's holding him back from traveling and i'm like i'm like yeah i'll give you the password in a second i'm like why do you need it he's like oh this this girl messaged me and i'm like that's cool but i was like 
I bet that's like bugging you because you can't you can't look at it right and you're like he's like I can tell where your head's at he's like I know he's like I just need to message her and then we can answer the questions and I'm like it's just funny seeing like the I need to message her like <laughs> And it's such like an icky feeling when the th you know like you need to somehow be connected in order to like carry on with the rest of your life. Yeah. I always say, Jeff. Usually, whenever I ask for the Wi-Fi password, I always usually prep it with, "I really hate to be this person, but what's your Wi-Fi password?" <laughs> <laughs> I know, like I feel gross, like that I am like, oh, I need this, or I have, or I need, you know, like. I need to message someone back or like I need to, but it, uh, it's, it's like somehow weirdly seems necessary, but I used to always do like self-care Sundays back home and I would just like not look at my phone. And sometimes some of the teens would be like, I messaged you, why didn't you? And I was just like, I disconnect, you know, like at least once a week, like I'm going to occupy my time with reading a book or doing some yoga or like, doing, you know, like I don't need to always be connected to my device this is my you can't even disconnect these days because people like get mad at you they're like oh my god it's been one day they didn't get back to me they must be mad at me yeah you're like they must no and you, you know like you're like what seriously you're like they haven't got back to me like they must be so pissed at me they're ignoring me and then you're like anxiety <laughs> you're like, yeah, there's so much anxiety that I feel like people have that's specifically related to cell phone use and social media that didn't exist before. You know, like people's messages being left unseen and stuff. And, you know, like then all of a sudden everyone's upset. Whereas back, you know, like 10, 15 years ago, it would, you know, like nobody was getting upset by these things necessarily. Because it was like, oh, well, what if they haven't been home to check their voicemails yet? You know? Yeah, it's, you know. it's wild, like, trying to put yourself into that situation, like, talking to your parents or people of that generation and just ask them what it was like. And it's, it'd be great yeah, to, I mean, you, <laughs> you can't really put yourself in that position anymore. Like, that's literally the past. But yeah, but like you can that. do self self-care Sundays. That's cool. I like that. I might start doing oh. that. It's a good idea. Yeah. Test it. I joined a book club. Well, well, I, I wanted to be in a book club and I wanted to start reading more. That was like Eric Thomas talks about that too. He's like, yeah, you, you want everyone, a lot of successful people talk about that. They're like, you want to be a smarter person, like read more books. Like that's what people did back in the day. Like they weren't on their phone so much. Everyone just reads on their phone now. But I, uh, I wanted to be in a, in, some sort of book club and i just asked my friend she started reading this book and i said that would be great like i'll read the, the same book we'll get together once and just talk about it and then you can share it and like you're gonna notice things so many things that i missed and like interpret things differently and like it's just such a great thing to do like to share and like get some new inspiration in the in the flow book clubs are amazing i was in one when i was in korea and we call ourselves Girls Gone Mild because we would get together. We would like have like a book a month or whatever. And we would all read the book and then get together and like drink wine and talk about the book. And then we would drink more wine and talk about other things, you know, but it was such a good way to connect with another person or other people on something on learning, 
you know, like, because you're learning through reading, regardless of what type of book it is, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever, it's still like a learning opportunity to be able to debrief it, you know, with someone else. I am so supportive of you being in the book club. That yeah, I thanks. Should too. Yeah, and it, like you do that when we were in high school and stuff, and I love that. I love getting together with a group and talking about even a movie, like, I watch a movie these I watch a movie by myself and it's like wow it was a great movie and then it's kind of like it's just kind of gone out of my memory because it's like I'm not sharing it with I might talk to someone briefly I'm like oh have you seen this movie and you literally will have like a 30 second conversation about it and then it's like but if you sat down a setting people like can bring their own snacks everyone bring a snack and like if it's one of those movies right like that you got to think and stuff then totally I did that recently with the movie Ready Player One because me and my friend Daryl, who lives in Texas, we both read the book. And so we knew that we had read the book and we talked about the book before. And then the movie came out and I went to see the movie. And then I'm like, Daryl, you should go see it and then we can talk about it. And then he went to go see the movie. And so then we both like had a debrief about like what we liked about it, what was different from the book. like. Were the characters what we expected? Like, what did we think of the new, you know, like, and it was really cool to have this amazing, like, debrief about about the movie. Like, we learned, like, so much, and it was so, so useful. That's cool. Yeah, I love, it's great when a book is both, that's, like, what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode, when one art goes to another, so the book <laughs> becomes a movie. <laughs> so... After you parted from your partner in travel partner in Iceland, now you're yes. ready for this big adventure on your own and you were kind of hoping that it would lead you to New Zealand, but you started in Europe. I got off this bus in Copenhagen and then instantly went over across this bridge to Sweden um, where my next couch surfing host was, um, Jesper. and. So then I stayed with Jesper for like, we had like four magical nights and he worked on a vineyard. So I came and helped him like with the harvest. Um, and we jumped in the ocean and like drank wine and like had all kinds of amazing conversations because he moved to New Zealand as well, like a month after I did. And I actually ran into him, um, which was hilarious. Um, because it was unintentional. We just like, I just saw him, you know, like on the street in New Zealand. And I was like, Oh my God, here you are. You know, like, this is weird. Um, but then, so I did the Sweden thing. Um, and then I, went wait a minute, to wait a minute, before you move on from there, you told me that you said you jumped into the ocean together. And I like what you had written. You said it was a little bit fearful. The, the actual jumping into the cold water. Was that it? Yeah, well, I have this very irrational fear of like, like if you were to ask me, like, what is your biggest fear? I would say falling through the ice. Like I have this really weird fear about falling through the ice and I don't like that. And I'm not necessarily like someone who's afraid of heights, but I am afraid of that moment of like making the conscious decision to jump. Um. And so when he told me, when he was like, we're going to jump in the sea, I was like, isn't it cold? And he was like, yeah. He's like, it's going to be really cold. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. But he's like, come on. 
So we got bikes and we biked from his apartment down to where the, like the sea was. And there was this dock and he was like, all right. And like, we both started taking our clothes off and like, it was cold. Um, and so we walked up to this dock and he was like, all right, here we go. And then it was like one, two, three. And he jumped and I didn't, of course, I was nervous. Um, and then, so he was there and I was like, how is it? And he's like, really cold. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, I have to do it. Um, and so then I was, I was like, it's either now or never. So then I jumped, um, and I was terrified and the water was freezing. Like there was just this freezing, like on the, the back, I remember like the back of my thighs for some reason being like so cold and they just like, you know, other parts of my body warmed up, but like the backs of my thighs did not. Um, but then it started getting better and I was like, okay. I was like, this isn't so bad. Like, this is good. Um, so then we kind of swam around for a little bit and then we got out and like toweled off and he told me, he's like, I didn't think that you were going to do it. He's like, honestly, when you didn't jump the first time, he was like, I didn't think that you were going to, he's like, I figured you weren't. And so he's like, I'm quite proud that you actually went for it. So that was a huge moment of like conquering a fear for me. Um, and I've harnessed into that experience at times in New Zealand when I've had to face a fear or I've been scared because um, jumping off of bridges into like rivers and lakes and things is really popular here. Um, so I've done that multiple times since being here um, and I went skydiving. And so like, I really tried to like harness in on like that moment when I decided to like jump off into the freezing cold sea in Sweden. And I'm like, okay, if I can do that, like I can jump off this bridge today or like I can jump out of this plane. You know, so. Okay. I really like what you wrote is I channel this moment whenever I need to do something courageous. And yeah. I ne never heard of that before. And such a good advice for someone who is about to do something that they're scared of is to think about a time where they had accomplished a fear, what they felt like in the moment and how they just jumped into it and they just went through it and it wasn't that bad. And mm -hmm. so you went from being scared of jumping in cold water, this irrational fear, to skydiving. Like, okay, we will. <laughs> yeah, man. My, on my birthday this past year, I went, I was like, what am I going to do that's like a monumental thing? Um, and so I went skydiving. And I started off my birthday. And this was when I was living in my caravan. <laughs> so I. Fast I forward to New Zealand. We're fast forwarding quickly to New Zealand. Um, my 29th birthday, I was living in my caravan in a campground. I didn't have any electricity, no running water, no power, no Wi-Fi, no nothing. You know, so pretty basic. Um, and I, I was like, what am I going to do today? And then I'm like, I'm going to go skydiving. So, like, I booked the appointment. It was, like, set. I was doing it. And I'm like, what do I need in the morning to get myself prepared to like go jump out of this airplane? So I text my friend Hattie and I was like, Hattie, do you want to jump off the Albertown Bridge today? Because there's this, there's this bridge that was right by my campground. Um, Cause my caravan, I literally lived in a caravan down by the river. Um, so this campground was right by this like really beautiful, amazing river. And there was this one, one lane bridge that crossed the river that was a really popular spot for children and people to just jump. Like it was 
it was a popular thing. And I hadn't jumped off the bridge yet because I was kind of nervous. I'd seen kids do it. Hattie hadn't jumped off the bridge. And I was like, Hattie, I'm like, if I'm going to jump out of a plane, I'm like, I need to be able to jump off this bridge. So I'm like, do you want, today's going to be the day. Do you want to jump off the Albertown Bridge with me? And she's like, yeah. She's like, let's do it. So we agreed that we were going to meet at 8 a.m. at the bridge and jump off of it. So we both show up. Um, we put kind of our clothes and our stuff at the bottom, you know, like where we climb out of the river. Uh, and so we go up in our swimsuits and you had to like climb over this railing to get to kind of like a bit where you could stand and then be prepared to jump. So we climb over and we're both like waiting. And I'm like, so I'm like, Hattie, like, how are we going to do this? I'm like, are we going to do it? One, two, three. Are we going to jump together? Is one person going to jump first? And she's like, she's like, I have to admit to you. She's like, this is the third time that I've been up here. And she's like, I haven't ever been able to jump. She's like, I've climbed over this railing two times before. And she's like, I'm terrified. And this is a girl who had ridden her bicycle from Vancouver to Mexico City. And she, and she was like, and I'm like, Hattie, I'm like, you're so badass. I'm like, you've cycled, you know, like, th from Canada to Mexico. I'm like, you can totally jump off this bridge. And she's like, I know. She's like, I know I can. Um, but she's like, I'm so scared. She's like, I don't know why. And I'm like, let's jump together. I'm like, on the count of three, we're going to count down and then we're both going to jump. And she's like, okay. So then we go one, two, three. I jump, she doesn't. It was exactly the opposite of what happened to me in Sweden. Um, and so like, I then like swim, you know, the river is really fast moving. So I like swim then to the edge and I look up and Hattie's still there, you know? And I'm like, Hattie, I'm like, you didn't jump. And she's like, I couldn't do it. And I'm like, you can, I'm like, it's not that bad. You could. So I was like trying to cheer, like encouraging words from the bottom. And then she's like, Jin, she's like, would you ever jump again? And I'm like, Ooh. and she's like, she's like, I think what I need from you right now is maybe you need to come back up here and jump with me again. She's like, I, I, she's like, maybe if you came back up, then I would do it. So I was like, okay, fine. I was like, again, I'm supposed to be jumping out of a plane later on this day. So I, I can, I can do this. I can jump off this bridge again. And so then I go over and I climb over the railing with her again. Um, and for me, climbing over the railing was like the scariest part. Cause I'm like, what if I slip and then I fall, but I'm not prepared. And I like hit my head, you know? So I climb over this railing and then I look at her and I'm like, okay, I'm like on three. And then she looks at me and she's like, honestly, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. And I'm like, Hattie. And she's like, I think I'm going to climb back over the railing and not do it. And I'm like, Oh, well, I don't want to climb over the railing. So I like look at her and I'm like, fuck it. And then I just jump again. Um, so I jump again and then like crawl back and she climbs over the railing and like meets me, you know, like down by where we put our clothes. Um, and so that was how I prepared myself for, so I, I jumped twice, once for myself and once for Hattie, which felt good. At least someone jumped for her. And then, and then, yeah. And then I went and I jumped out of a plane like an hour later. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that was the start to my 29th birthday. I just jumped off. What a birthday you will never forget. Man, yeah, that birthday was unforgettable for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, it, yeah, it was good. I have a train story or a bridge story too. So I will tell you that in a second. But I want to hear how the skydiving went. I can't believe that was all on the same day. That's a, 
a courageous day. All like before noon. <laughs> I think, you know, like this all happened like before, before midday. Yeah, this guy was great. I was waiting for the shuttle in, in town, like, cause I had a shuttle that would come pick you up. And I ended up meeting this German guy named Tom. Cause he was, I saw him, he was waiting by himself and I was waiting by myself and because nobody wanted to go skydiving with me because it's quite expensive. So a lot of people were like, oh, that's kind of out of my budget to go skydiving for someone else's birthday, you know? But again, like the movie thing, I'm like, I'm doing it by myself. It's fine. I want to do this and I'm not gonna, it's, you know, I'm not gonna let other people dictate my own experience. So I said, I look at this German guy and I'm like, what are you waiting for? And he was like, the skydiving shuttle. And I'm like, me too. And I'm like, are you doing it by yourself? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I just wanted to do something really awesome today. And I'm like, me too, because it's my birthday. And he's like, yeah. So me and this German guy, Tom, like instantly bonded. He was super cool. Um, and so then we went and got, we got on the shuttle and it took us to the skydiving place. And they make you watch this little video of like, this is what's going to happen. And this is how you land. And like, you're going to be connected to this other human being. Um, and I knew one of the guys who was a skydiver at this place because I was hitchhiking one day prior to this day. And I met this guy, Malachi, and he was like, yeah, he's like, I work over at Skydive Wanaka. And I'm like, cool. I'm like, if I ever did skydiving, I would want it to be with you. Super attractive, sexy, tall, like beautiful man. Um, and so then I was like, uh, that's just kind of like my hope that I would be able to skydive with Malachi, but like, who knows? So I show up at the skydiving place. I see Malachi. He's like going, going out like on the, on a plane. And I look at him and he sees me and like, we wave to each other and he's like, Hey, and I'm like, Hey, I'm like, it's my birthday. And he's like, no way. Happy birthday. And I'm like, I want to skydive with you. And he's like, go tell him. He's like, go tell him that you want it to be with me. And I'm sure they'll be able to arrange that. So then I'm like, sweet. My dreams are going to come true. And so I go like, and I'm like, I really want to skydive with Malachi. And then they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. So then they're like, sounds great. So then they get me on like with Matt, like onto the next plane with Malachi. And so they basically like you suit up. I don't know. Have you ever skydived? No. Yeah. So like they put you in this suit and then like you get a harness and like a little like kind of helmety like thing and goggles and like, you're all prepared, you know, like with gloves, whatever, shoes. And so then Malachi comes and he's like, all right. He's like, let's get on this plane together. So he's like taking some video and like some photos and stuff. And we're just chatting and about what he did the night before. And I'm like, how many times have you jumped today? And he's like, oh, he's like, I've already done this like four times, you know? And he's like jumped like 15,000 times in his life or something, which is insane. And so then we get on this plane and basically like, the plane just has two long like rows of seats and they just kind of like shove the people in there. So like you're sitting, you know, like I'm sitting like this and he's behind me so that he can like clip on, you know, cause he's got the parachutes. I don't have anything, you know, but so we smoosh together, you know, like sandwich style. And then he clips like his harness, like onto me at like four different points. And then they give you air because like you're up there so high and the plane's not like pressurized or whatever. So he's like, I'm just going to give you some air so that you're not like lightheaded. And then when it's time to jump, they open this, they open the thing on the, on the plane. And then basically Malachi just like 
scooted me, like they just scoot you to the edge, to the door of this plane. And then they're like, okay, here we go. And basically he just like pushes, you know, your person kind of just like topples you out of this plane door. And then like all of a sudden you're like free falling in the sky and like, you don't really see the ground coming at you because you're you're up so high that your brain can't like comprehend that you're falling. You know, it's almost like you're just being pushed up by a giant fan. But so like we free we d- just like did the thing and we're like free falling for probably a little bit over a minute. And then I was like, oh my god, I hope this parachute deploys. Like whatever. And then like he pulled the parachute and then you feel like the big like whoosh of like now you're suspended from something instead of just flying um and then you kind of just like cruise cruise to the ground and then land and then he like unhooks and was like great flight see you later have an enjoyable rest of your birthday um and I was like thanks and then we you know I took off and that was and that was skydiving what a great story so you were you were free falling for how long? Like it like it, you said a minute. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was about a minute or like seventy seconds. That's a long time, isn't it? I thought it was a lot shorter than that, but maybe I guess it depends where you go skydiving. And it depends on how high you want because you, depending on how much you want to pay, you can jump from like twelve thousand feet or like. 13 or, and I jumped from like 16,000 feet, which is like the highest recommended that you go. Um, so that was the, that was, I I was kind of like, go big or go home. Like if I'm going to be spending this money to go skydiving, I might as well do it right. You know? So like, I think like a minute is usually the longest about like free fall time that you have, but it felt like a lot longer than a minute, man. I'll tell you that. And you didn't tell me how you felt falling how was it it was so intense like because the and the air is cold i remember my mouth being very cold because you're up so high and the temperature is low you know and so i just remember like my lips being quite quite cold but then like malachi was like asking me questions because he was videoing the whole thing. So he was like, what does it feel like? And I'm like, this is insane. You know, like, it's just very exhilarating. It literally is an exhilarating feeling. But the instant that I was falling felt way better than, like, the moment of being at the edge of the plane waiting to fall. You know, that was a scary bit. And then once I was falling, I was kind of like, well, if I die, then, like, there's no going back. You know, like, (laughs) this could end very badly but we'll see what happens, you know? So at that point I was able to just enjoy it and release any of the fears that I had because there was no going back. I almost feel like if you go skydiving, like you can, you shouldn't be afraid of anything ever (laughs) because like I'm all about conquering fears in life and like skydiving for sure is something that, would scare me and I don't think I ever will go skydiving it's not something like I need to do I think I think it's probably the most exhilarating thing you could do on this planet and I mean that's perspective but it's just like you said like once you were falling the hardest part was just jumping or like the first push but yeah that's like that's just wild to be like I like you said you're just falling and 
that's it. You don't really have control. You let go of control and it's in Malachi for whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. And, and it made me think too, I'm like, he's just another human being. Like maybe he's super hungover from the night before. Like maybe, you know, like these guys are just normal humans that you're just like trusting will pull the parachute at the right time or that they know what they're doing. Cause I, I think their experience is much more intense because they have all of the controls and like they're you know like in charge of your safety essentially and as the person that's clipped on you're just like okay i guess i'm you know the tagline for the skydive company was strap yourself to a beautiful stranger like that was their and i'm like i guess i'm just entrusting this person with my entire life right now you know and it was wild because about four days after i skydived um one someone died actually like not the company that i skydived with but in the neighboring town um in queenstown some someone died like there was an accident and somebody actually like they still haven't found the body like to this day and i was like oh my god i wonder if i would have done it had i known you know like after like glad i did it before i found out that someone just died so people rewind. So people do die skydiving. That does happen. Yeah, I think it. I mean, I think that the chances of it happening are very unlikely, um, but it it totally happens. Like, I, apparently, a, a couple days after I skydived, there yeah, was two people. A parachute malfunction happened, and there's always a backup chute just in case the first one doesn't deploy. But I guess the backup chute didn't function properly either and they landed in a lake in like one of the biggest longest deepest lakes in New Zealand and I guess the skydive instructor survived and I guess the person that jumped like panicked like as soon as they were in the water and drowned and they never found the body so it happens like it totally just as people get into car accidents and people and planes sometimes crash, like skydiving accidents happen too. So it was one of those things where I did have to tell myself, like, maybe I will die, but let's just go for it. That's why I think it is super important when you are on an airplane to show gratitude when you get off the plane to everyone, like the stewardess. And like, if you get the chance to say thank you to the pilot, because they just took you like, you put all your control and faith into them and trusted them and like make sure like you recognize them for that because most people like you know especially people who are doing it for business like they just take it for granted like you just got on an airplane and they flew you like no questions asked like yeah, in this giant metal sky tube yeah Oh my God, your story just went from like, my face was hurting because I was so happy listening to that to like the two falling in the ocean, the the, the lake and like dying to like, <laughs> like the polar opposite. And I'm just like, wow, so that's, you created some good emotions there. But that's very sad for sure. Yes. And yeah. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Jumping. About jumping which was like another, it was last summer, right at the end of the summer. And I, we just drove about an hour north of my house and in Canada, in Ontario. 
and to like this small waterfall and then I was with this girl and felt like it was going to be the last day of the summer and she said that there was this bridge we could jump off of and it was pretty high though and I haven't done too much cliff jumping I'm probably the highest I've jumped off of maybe like 30 40 feet maybe 40 feet maybe that's pretty high I mean it depends who you are so we start walking go to the waterfalls waterfalls great we start walking on this towards this bridge and I remember being at the stoplight before we got to the bridge area and the red light was like really long for some reason and we were sitting at this light for a good like two minutes and she was like should we just drive through it like they were doing some construction or something and we waited there for like a good two minutes and eventually it changed but it's always interesting like those chain of events so later on about fast forward about 15 minutes we get to this bridge and we're walking on these train tracks and I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Stand By Me. Yes. When they're walking on very similar situation. It was like the exact same location and a bridge that's crossing a lake that a train can also go on. And I just, we're just talking and like not really paying attention. And it crossed my mind. I said, is this an active, are these active tracks? Like, does a train come by here? And she kind of didn't know. And then literally about 10 seconds after that, we kind of like heard a sound and we both turned around at the same time. This train was like coming towards us and, and it starts like honking at us. And we didn't have the option to turn around because we had kind of committed so far that our options were kind of like, we had three options. We could run against the train, like, that, that's probably the worst option and hope that we get to a side where we can jump off because it was like a pretty good drop right where there wasn't water and and there was a little cubby where like you could stand this like four foot by four foot cubby and like that was my quick first suggestion I was like oh maybe we should just stand there that's what that's for right and then she kind of looked at me and was like that's kind of risky like stuff flies up and like the train would be like this close going by and then she literally just looked at me and it was just like that movie the beach and she's like we jump and she like threw her flip-flops over the edge and she just she booked it and I was like holy shit wait up for me and then she hopped over the railing and she just jumped and like it was kind of like she was the one who was scared and then I'm staying there by myself and like I, I watched her fall and it was like a good lengthy fall and I was like oh I didn't really have my brain didn't have time to process it and I was like move out of the way I was like move I gotta jump so anyway I jumped and that was like the highest I've ever jumped from and then as we're like in the water we watched the train go by and it was like just a surreal moment like I, I was so so much adrenaline and like just like the skydiving I bet you had so much adrenaline and like I was laughing hysterically and I just couldn't believe that that just happened and no. I felt okay. like I was in a movie like I totally felt like I was in a movie and yeah. I'm like that was amazing and I was like <laughs> I was like I felt like I was like should I swim over and like kiss this girl like I was like what what happens that's another yeah. story that's another story. I can't get into that. But anyway, 
I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> I must know. Um, yeah. Anyway, and so we were just like laughing hysterically. Couldn't believe that just happened. And when we swam over to the ledge, <laughs> I caught myself thinking there with my head and not my heart. <laughs> and and because I'm like, I'm being recorded right now. And we walked back up and I was kind of like, do you want to go just sit on the ledge and like see what just happened? Like take in, like see how high we jumped and stuff. And so we walked over and like we, we assumed another train probably wasn't going to come by for a while. And we're sitting on the ledge and it was really beautiful. It's really quiet. And like going from that loud train to just peacefulness. And we're looking at the water and you know, we're like shouting bird noises and stuff. And I kind of wanted to jump again, just like your story. That's funny. Like your story is like the same story. And I was like, should we jump again? Like to actually like jump on our own and not be forced off the bridge. And she's like, I'm not going to jump because I guess she like hurt her tailbone a little bit. And I was like, okay, like I'm probably not going to come back here in a while. I got to do it again for me and jump. But I couldn't. I couldn't jump. And I was like, I was sitting there and I was like, and there's always that thing about doing these crazy things is like, you can always do it again. You can just keep jumping. Right. And it's like, I'm happy that I jumped. I was safe. I didn't really need to do it again, but I wanted to, but it was funny that I'm trying to think if I would have jumped in the first place, if that train didn't come, if I would have actually had jumped. Right. So yeah, I didn't end up jumping, but I was totally okay with it. And just so that particular story was um, definitely like a monumental day in my life. Like that was just a, and I don't tell that story too often, but yeah. Oh my God. I'm so glad that you told me that was like, I, I was like there with you. Like the way that you told it, I could like see all of it happening in my head. And that is beautiful. Like, and, and you don't need to tell me all the details about, about the girl right now, but I do have one question. And my question is, are you, are you still in contact with her? Yeah. So this, we're like, we're pretty close friends, which is good. She like lives in the same town as me. So I've known her for like five years, but we hadn't really hung out too much. And, but we've recently become like pretty tight friends, which I'm really happy about. And yeah, it was, it was cool. Cause like, I didn't bring my phone either. I was like, Oh, should we like, I guess I'll leave my phone and stuff here. And like, I mean, I, in another life, I wish I could catch that on film. Like, like just to like, I felt like it was a movie. I'm like, I'm like, we just jumped off a bridge. Like I need to swim over here. And like, and after we got in the car, we like walked back and this song came on. It was like, it was like just one of those, like, it was, I like fell in love with this song. It was a Ben Howard song. I don't know if you know Ben Howard, uh, old pine. That's like probably, you know, that song. I feel like I've probably heard it, but I'm not. Yeah. It's like this very nature song. It's like all about, it's, it's a summer nature song. And this song came on her iPod, which I'd never heard. And it was like, it was like, seven years old. I can't believe I never heard it. And it was just, again, it was like, wow, is this, sometimes life it just it puts you in situations just like your guy your instructor guy where you're like oh i want to skydive with you and then you ended up 
connecting anyway and you didn't die (laughs) and also when you told me your skydiving story both your skydiving story and your bridge jumping story that's what i love about this video chat and the travel talks is you totally brought me there too like i felt like i was standing beside you and half what was her name start with an h Hattie. Hattie, yeah. I was going to say happy, and I was like, no, it was Hattie. And I was like, I can't believe she didn't jump, though. I was like, what? And you're like, I jumped for her. So at least you jumped again. So. (laughs) Yeah, it was so good. Oh, my God. And I'm so glad you told me that story, too, because that is beautiful. Yeah, I don't – I actually don't tell that story too often. Like, it doesn't – you know, unless unless you're bridge jumping. Like, how often you just bust out. You're like, yeah, this one time I jumped off a bridge. Like, but – yeah anyway that was a cool and then after that like the weather changed and it got quite cool so it was like a perfect last day of summer it was just like uh yeah and i'm excited for like more of those moments to happen in life because like if you think back to your life like you said when we were talking about reflecting and if you think about like someone had mentioned the word memoirs to me and like Mm. Sometimes you think of that as like, oh, you have to be like famous to do that. But like, it's like everyone has such a unique journey that if you don't get these stories down, whether it's for like your next generation of grandkids and stuff, like it's so important to write down these stories because you're going to forget them. Like, especially when we live to a hundred and I wish I had like detailed stories of like my grandparents and their grandparents and like, and just more detailed information on like their whole history. Like, you know, it just keeps going, right? If you follow a bloodline, if you could, till like, till the, they had records, like hypothetically, you could like go all the way back to like the pyramids, right? And like the beginning of time, like, but. Holy. So at least for now, like memoirs are, are cool, yeah. Yeah, and it's like the realization that every single human has a story and an experience that's just as complex as our own. Right. You know, like every single person that you pass on the street has, is a complex human being, you know, like whose life is just as like deep and confusing as yours. You know, like we're so in our own perspective that I think we like fail to realize the complexities of like other people's experience. But like, you don't need to be a celebrity or famous to have these really fascinating and interesting stories. Yeah, I I definitely, I was going to say, with those kind of pillar monumental moments, and it's just like moments like those that like, that moment is so unique for me personally. And like, I'm excited for more of those like moments in the future because like you don't know when they're going to happen. Just like when you went to Iceland and you're like, oh, what are all those people looking at? And you're like, and all of a sudden you're like, this is, it's like, like, so it's just like a a relationship too. Like you never know who, who am I going to like from today? It's like, I'm single. And it's like, you know, maybe like a month from now, maybe tomorrow, like you might run into someone. If you're, if you're following your heart, you're going to run into someone unexpectedly. And all of a sudden your life is going to change or a moment. So that's why I love how life is a mystery. And, there's no sense in trying to figure it all out in your head. You got to just, like you said, follow your heart and and have fun with it. Yeah, you're so right. You never know when it's going to happen. 
And that's so exciting. <laughs> so exciting. Okay, back on topic. Yes. Do you want to tell me about New Zealand then? So you've been there for eight months. Yeah, and it's it's been wild. Like I started my first um, my first month was on the North Island. Um, met some incredible, amazing people. Did some volunteer work. But I think like what's on top for me right now is like my experience on the South Island because I got. I, I got to the South Island in November. Um, I took the ferry across. So had this wonderful, beautiful boat experience. And then, and then it was like, I, I've never, I don't know, have you ever hitchhiked before? No. Yeah, so I had never hitchhiked before either. When I got to the South Island, but then I, I was like, this is, this is what's gonna happen. Like, I'm gonna hitchhike around. And I had heard how easy it was and how safe it was and how normal it is. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be my method of travel. So as I was getting off the ferry, like I just stood with a sign that said like, please someone take me to Nelson. And then there was this girl that was like about my age and she was like, I'm headed. She's like, I'm headed that way. She's like, I'll take you. And I was like, great. This was easy. You know, and so then it's like, it spawned, like, I can't even count the number of times that I've hitchhiked. It's in the hundreds now, you know, like, because it just became such a normal way to get from place to place. And like, as soon as I found a job and found my caravan, which I rented for 70 New Zealand dollars a week, I, I, I hitchhiked like every day to work. You know, like every single day I would go like out to the road and like put my thumb out and like sure enough within five to 10 minutes, like someone would stop and take me to town, you know, and like I, it just became such a normal part of my routine to hitchhike and like I started dating a guy that I met while hitchhiking because like he picked me up and we like just got on really well and like had amazing conversations. Um, and then we just like kept in touch, you know, like afterward, and then like had like a really short lived, but really good relationship. And like, he taught me a lot about Kiwi culture and like took me a lot of interesting places and helped me figure out or like have the experience of like, what is it like to date again? You know, cause I had been in a relationship for such a long time that I was like, holy shit, like, how do you date? Like, this is so hard. But yeah, like the hitchhiking and the living in the caravan and like I was bathing in the river all the time because I didn't have a shower and just like stopped wearing shoes and bras and that was just like very normal, you know? And so I, and I think that, I think that that's rare, you know, like it doesn't happen. It it's, was so normal on the South Island of New Zealand, but I don't think that that exists anywhere else. You know, where you could just be like, oh, I'm not going to wear shoes today and hitchhike or, you know, wash in the river. And like, that was a very normal part of living in Wanaka, which was the town that I lived at. And so I'm kind of just trying to like revel in like those moments because I'm like, I don't even now that I'm back on the North Island, like, and then I'm going to leave New Zealand. I'm like, I don't know when the next time I'll hitchhike will be like, maybe I never will again. in on those 
Because those were some those were some of the good ones. And like amazing relationships happen through hitchhiking and oh. It's like how did how did you meet your husband? You're like, oh we met hitchhiking. <laughs> so, yeah, and me and, and the guy's name was Steven. Um and me and Steven said that too. We were like we were like, we almost should stay together specifically because the story of how we met is so awesome. You know, that like, <laughs> that like maybe that's a good enough, re no, it's not a good enough reason to stay together. But we, yeah, before, and before I left the South Island, I had like a couple really amazing good with him. Um, but then again, like, ha you know, like had to leave that and that was quite a challenge, but. That's cool, you said bathing in the river. I did that when I was, living at this community that was off the grid and when it was time to have a shower yeah you brought some like homemade soap and you literally just got naked and like dove into the river and like it was so freeing and like it's like the best way to cool off and like so that's cool yeah you really you know the uh self-care sundays like you're talking about you were kind of living that every day so totally yeah and it helped me like really get comfortable with like with my body um because like everybody you know like everyone's all always in the lake and always swimming and always you know since it was summer it was just a very outdoorsy type of community and so i'm like what a great place to just like learn how to get super comfortable you know, like being partially naked in public and just doing all of these things that I wouldn't do. Um, so it was like such a cool learning experience to be, to have to figure out like, oh, can I survive without electricity? You know, and I lived in this caravan for literally like almost two months. And I didn't, you know, like, and I didn't have electricity. I ran, I had solar panels to charge my phone. You know, if I wanted to watch something on Netflix, I would have to find a place in town to like charge my iPad and maybe download some shows so that I could bring my iPad back to my caravan and then maybe I could watch a couple episodes before bed. Can you describe like what it's like in New Zealand? Oh man, that's such a tough one. Cause I, I think I had this assumption um, that when I got here, that the weather would be very much so like it is in Australia, which is not the case. Like there are definitely seasons. Um, but like the people are so friendly. Like I've never met friendlier people in my life. Like Kiwis are amazing. Um, everything seems to move at a little bit of a slower pace. Everyone drives, it's a, you drive on the left-hand side of the road. So that took me a while to get used to. And just like Kiwi slang, like the Kiwi accent is amazing. And like Kiwi slang is great. Um, there's amazing birds and there aren't any dangerous animals or critters or spiders like lurking in the forest. So a good place to get outdoors. Yeah, Australia can be a bit scary, eh? Yeah, I talked yeah. to my friend who was like working on a farm in Australia and she's like yeah last night like this snake like was crawling around one of our ankles we had to like kill it with a hatchet or something and she's like and there's these red spiders here that like if they bite you like you could die and I'm just like 
Wow, I do not want to live there. That sounds terrifying. Like you take that for granted, right? You go outside and you're like, oh, damn wasp. Like, yeah, and that doesn't, and that's the a good thing about New Zealand is that they don't have any deadly spiders or snakes or any kind of weird, weird critters like lurking about. Like everything is pretty. They don't have. Is pretty. Do they have kangaroos there? Is that a dumb question? No, no kangaroos. I think Australia only for the kangaroos. Right. Which is unique. Yeah, I think it's like Australia and then maybe a, a little bit of like some another country that's very nearby Australia. I think I looked it up that has kangaroos also. But that's pretty unique that that country like is like that's their home, the can kangaroos home. Yeah, I know. That's just where kangaroos live. Yeah, so I don't guess I should try. That's a good question, Jeff, that I should try to think about more. Like, how would I concisely try to describe New Zealand culture? Sometimes you can. You can't. It's sometimes it's like you have to just go. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's good. It's relaxed. It's casual. Lots of mountains. Yeah. Maybe. So, yeah. Fresh, maybe yeah. that's why like everyone's much more relaxed. You know, they live in such a scenic place. My friend. The same girl who I jumped off the bridge with, she went to New Zealand in December and for a month and she sent me a postcard and she said, yeah, I'm writing this at this stunning beach right now. And she's like, the funny thing is like everywhere you go in New Zealand is so beautiful that like sometimes some beaches that are just stunning are kind of crappy because like every beach is stunning. And I'm like, that's hilarious. Like we take so much for granted that like you start to depreciate like something so amazing. Yeah. And that's how I felt a little bit. Like when I was living on the South Island, like I lived in like a mountain town. Um, and so we, we were also in a lake. So like there was this big, beautiful lake that was like surrounded by mountains. And I lived in this town for like four months, four or five months or something. And I think it was hard because there was definitely a point when I wasn't appreciating its beauty. You know, like I stopped looking at the mountains on my way to work and I, you know, like, and I just didn't even see that they were there even. And then like, I kind of had to stop and be like, wow, I, you know, like I need to appreciate this place more because like it is so beautiful and I am surrounded by like all of this lush, beautiful nature and scenery and I'm not even fully like appreciating it. So I think that like it does, you have to stop and remind yourself of like the beauty of nature and like remind yourself to not take it for granted because it's so easily you get in this routine and you forget where you are. I That's like one of my favorite topics because that's a great question that I, will, I would ask and you kind of just answered it. How, how do you appreciate something that's so routine for you that's so magical to other people who would see it at first sight like I don't live near mountains and whenever like I see mountains in pictures or like if I was actually at somewhere with mountains like it's almost like it's from another world like it's just or I'm in a dream or something and it was really cool we live uh we have a lake in our city and our and it's i i began to appreciate that lake so much more after coming back from traveling and i love going down watching the sunrise the sunset or just walking down there and just appreciating how calm it is and i think the best way 
to not take that for granted is to immerse yourself in it, of course, like go on hikes and stuff, but B, like you said, stop and think for a second, like how, how grateful you are to be in that situation, to take a second and actually understand how beautiful this really is. And there's this really cool Tony Robbins morning preparation called priming that you hold your hand on your heart and you think of stuff you're grateful for. And after I did that, I'll send it to you. Like I've never felt so empowered in my life and so, so much gratitude to start the day. And like, I think that's how you, you do because there's so many people live by the great wall, China or like the pyramids or like, I mean, those are kind of like physical buildings, but I mean, nature stuff, it's definitely comes down to gratitude, I think. And I think so too. Yeah. Please send me that because I, and that again, like kind of full circle comes back to like feeling with your heart space and not, you know, like with your, head you know i think that if we can all try to like live more fully like through the heart like i think the gratitude would come easier you know and i know you have to go soon and so i will just quickly say this so the same thing when i was trying on shoes yesterday and my friend was like, isn't it funny that we have to like go and buy these really expensive shoes because we like walk on concrete and like humans like aren't supposed to walk on concrete. And this little kid in Portugal, when I was at the community, he asked me, excuse me, like, why are you wearing shoes? And I just said, I don't know, I'm traveling. Like, I don't want to get my feet too dirty, I guess. And he's like, you know, the the soil is good for your feet. It gives your body nutrients and minerals. This kid was like eight and I'm like, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. And to feel the ground that you're standing on and because we wear shoes, you're not you're disconnected from the ground and like if you actively think about that, like what you're smelling, everything you're hearing, I think that's the best way to get out of your head and just like when you do if you go for a hike or something, do something crazy, don't wear shoes. Like if it's reasonable, you're not going to get hurt, but like to really feel like you're actually like in one, in one with earth, right? Yeah, add that to the list. Immerse yourself, stop, take off your shoes, have gratitude. Take off your shoes, yeah. And touch things, right? Like we were kids. Yeah, totally. Okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing your journey. Thank you for wanting to know about all these things. Yes, you said you are known as a storyteller and a story listener. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your day. And yeah. last question, like, do you want to leave a quote or anything regarding what we just, a theme that we talked about? Oh, maybe I'll just end it with what I wrote in your travel journal. Just stay curious, stay playful and do at least one crazy thing per year perfect that's the gin i know okay excellent have have a wonderful day thank you for this moment of connectedness yeah and there you have it everybody back on the bus please time to head home thank you so much for listening and hopefully we were able to add some culture and creativity to your life Next episode, we soak in one of the greenest countries in Europe 
as well as the only country in the world with the word love in it. We also hear what it's like being Greek and living in Lithuania, as well as a more psychological conversation about how travel shapes our identities. If these stories and energy are resonating with you, give it a follow or subscribe, and please feel welcome to leave a comment or review. You can find the audio version on Apple Podcasts or the video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us. I'm Jeffasaurus Rex, and remember, stay curious, vicarious.